Good evening and welcome to From Where We Are, stories of news and culture through the lens of USC and Southern California. I'm Ethan Huang. And I'm Taylor Mills. We're coming to you live from Studio B in USC's Annenberg Media Center. It's Thursday, December 1st, 2022. On today's show, the USC student creator of InstaFest discusses the incredibly popular platform. The app has grown to 10 million plus and counting in just about five, five, six days. The problematic backdrop to this year's World Cup. The migrant workers and how many have died, the poor work conditions they're going through, the poor equipment that they've been using. And guess what? Performing arts classes for kids in LA that are free. I think something about things being free just gives opportunity for everyone to experience culture and, and arts, and uh, I think it's a privilege. All that and more from where we are. After these news headlines from Tony Fajardo. Japan beat Spain today and advanced to the knockout stage of the FIFA World Cup with a controversial goal initially ruled out of play. Japan are going through to the knockout stages and so too is Spain as things stand despite defeat. The win also eliminated Germany even after their victory over Costa Rica due to the goal differential. There are only two matches left to be determined for the knockout stage as the tournament continues to turn heads and spark opinions. Joe Biden's student loan forgiveness program will remain on hold for now as the Supreme Court has decided to take up the case. The court agreed to hear oral arguments starting in February. Social media company Parler announced today that rapper Kanye West will no longer purchase the company after initial agreements back in October. Parler stated the agreement was mutual between both parties. Congress approved the bill today to make World War companies and workers come to an agreement to avoid a worker strike meant to begin December 9th. Biden stated he will sign the bill into law once it reaches his desk. Senator Elizabeth Warren talked about the difficult position this situation puts lawmakers in. On the one hand, we don't want to shut down the economy. On the other, we don't want to say to rail workers, if you have a heart attack or you break your leg, you either show up to work or you're going to lose your job. The Biden administration gave $75 million to three tribal communities in Alaska and Washington to relocate as they struggle with rising sea levels, flooding, and other natural disasters. Those are some of the top headlines in today's news. USC students sat shoulder to shoulder trying to squeeze into the middle of Wallace Annenberg Hall to watch the World Cup matches being shown on the gigantic TV screens as their countries faced off in sports' biggest stage. Even non-soccer fans at USC are turning and tuning into the games to see the world's best compete, as Stefano Fenrich reports. Even with games starting as early as 2 in the morning, fans are committed to seeing their countries compete. Here at USC, some students are going back to their roots and feel inspired by their countries playing in the tournament. Here's USC senior Morgan Hill Edgar. Yes, I was definitely patriotic before. I have a lot of belief in America, but I've seen more like U.S. jerseys pop out. Like I've seen a couple soccer jerseys from the U.S. team, and I haven't seen that before. Students at USC are rooting for more than just the U.S., as you can spot people sporting jerseys on campus from all around the world. According to USC, international students make up almost a quarter of the student body. They represent countries from all over the world, many of which are competing in the World Cup. I'm from Ecuador, so I watched Ecuador play quite a bit. Student Angelo Winning says... I have a family thing, you know, grew up around it, so that was the team we go for. Not every country can qualify for the World Cup, but fans still tune in and watch the games and choose another country to root for. That's what graduate student Mahmoud Rojdi is doing. I'm from Egypt. Egypt is not in the World Cup. Uh, unfortunately, but in Egypt, football or soccer, as you call it here in the U.S., is an obsession. 
Rushdie has watched most of the matches so far, and since he can't root for Egypt, he's rooting for the Arab teams. He says his favorite part of the tournament is the camaraderie that comes from watching the games with everyone, no matter what country they're from. Rushdie recalls the atmosphere of watching past World Cups in different countries. Where people like almost like sitting on chairs on the street, almost on the street, and watching the, the match in a cafe, in the TV in a cafe. And everyone is shouting, everyone is speaking with each other, everyone is talking about the World Cup, who you support, if your country is not in the, in the competition like Greece or Italy or Egypt or Turkey, so who, who, who will you support? Who is your favorite for to win the, the Cup? Many countries have already punched their tickets onto the knockout stage and are awaiting their opponents for the next round. The World Cup brings out patriotism that is seldom seen, and with the U.S. playing again on Saturday, along with other top countries, USC students will gather again to cheer for their respective nations. For Annenberg Media, this is Stefano Fendrich. The World Cup is a notorious event that historically has brought nations together. However, the 2022 Games host country has found themselves dealing with human rights concerns. This year's World Cup has sparked controversy. CNN has quoted World Cup chiefs stating that at least 450 migrant workers have died as a result of numerous unhealthy and unfair working conditions during the construction of the stadiums in Qatar. Soccer fan George Gutierrez, a junior studying accounting, expressed concerns about the games in Qatar but explains why he continues to watch the sporting event. Yes, for me, it's kind of like a cultural thing. I'm Latin American, and it kind of brings like the whole world together in a place. I'm Ecuadorian, and the first match was Qatar versus Ecuador. The commentator was speaking about it, but like, when was the last time you've seen people from Qatar and people from Ecuador sharing the same space? And I thought that was a really beautiful thing to witness. Business administration major Samuel Ramirez watches avidly with some regret. Like the workers are getting treated like with no respect and whatnot, not getting like the wages that they deserve. And honestly, the Qatar World Cup shouldn't have been in Qatar. It's just like like everything is like it was just a money grab for FIFA. I'm a soccer fan. I like I want to see Messi win a World Cup. So I mean, I'm also Latino, right? Like soccer is a huge thing in Latino culture. Plus, I'm in the middle of final season. This distresses me. Marshall senior Jimmy Ong believes that future games should not jeopardize the lives of migrant workers anywhere. I know Qatar has a lot of Filipino migrant workers, so it's something that I would am interested to know about or would read about. I think the board for the World Cup should reconsider where they host these games in the future, especially in a place where there is a lot of human rights issues. Other students address the various hardships surrounding the way Qatar has handled hosting the World Cup thus far, while still rationalizing the importance of the games. Um, I'm a pretty big soccer fan, says psychology major Connor Castro. Like I follow a lot of uh, news agencies who have been reporting it, um, primarily about like the LGBTQ laws and how like they'll kill them if they uh, commit those actions, the migrant workers and how many have died the poor work conditions they're going through, the poor equipment that they've been using, and just how um, in Qatar they've just been brushing it under or they just don't care. But even those who care can put the atrocities aside in order to root for their team. Castro continues. Um, I think because at the end of the day, it's still just a sporting event. The location, it doesn't really matter because it's just, again, it's a game. Obviously, the political landscape of how it occurred is it's obviously horrible, but at the end of the day, it's still just 11 people playing soccer. That being said, for a lot of people, human rights is not a game. For Annenberg Media, I'm Issa Johnson. Spotify Wrapped season is officially upon us. 
But the virtual streaming service is not the only thing providing us with a unique look into our listening habits. A 20-year-old USC student has achieved major success with a personal coding project that has taken social media by storm. Taylor Cantorino has a story. If you opened up Instagram today and your eyes were graced with the visuals of a festival lineup that looks just a little too good to be true, you are not the only one. If you scroll, you may even see multiple lineups, all uniquely curated to reflect the listening patterns of your peers. I was just in bed scrolling through TikTok one day, seeing all these posts about people going to Coachella, people excited for upcoming festivals. That is Anshe Sabu, a 20-year-old USC CS student who created the platform fueling this social media trend. I just started thinking about, you know, if I was to plan a festival, if I was to put one on, you know, who would I want to be headlining? Who would I really want to see as all my artists? His platform, InstaFest, allows users to use their Spotify data to transform their listening habits into a realistic-looking festival lineup poster. The posters come in several different creative options, and they are so real-looking that some users believed them and actually looked into booking flights and ticket prices. The platform was released last week, and it has made waves on social media and made itself known to creatives like Billboard magazine writer Rania Aniftos. It's very representative of where we are right now in terms of music listening. Sabu started preparing the platform last spring and finally completed the product over his Thanksgiving break, InstaFest has since become a runaway hit. Now we're here and competing with Spotify wrapped in uh, Apple Music Replay was never even my intention. It just so happened that I like kind of delayed the project long enough to release around the same time frame. And now it's just taken on kind of a life of its own. Top artists themselves have taken to the app, displaying their listening habits and their own favorite artists. Sabu was starstruck when he saw big names in music like Questlove and Lena Waithe sharing their lineups. Initially, Sabu hoped to get 1 million users, but he has ended up blowing that goal out of the water. Somehow, some way, just from me posting on my story and some of my friends posting on their story, the app has grown to 10 million plus and counting in just about five, five, six days. And if you want to find out what your dream festival lineup looks like, go try out the platform for yourself at instafest.app. For Annenberg Media, I'm Taylor Contarino. So what are your InstaFest headliners? All right, so my InstaFest headliners are Grace and Chance, Beyonce, uh, and Lizzie McAlpine. What about you? Uh, Stromae, Anatsuchiya, and the Cranberries. The Cranberries. <laughs> At the Wallace Annenberg Center for the Performing Arts in Beverly Hills, kids from across LA gather to sing, dance, and learn. These interactive classes teach the kids everything from salsa dance to musical theater. But the best part is, it's free and open to all kids, especially in the wake of the pandemic and decreased funding for the arts in public schools. Charlotte Phillip reports. On a sunny day in downtown Beverly Hills, moms, dads, newborns, toddlers, and older kids alike gather in folding chairs around an outdoor patio. This small sanctuary of trees with plenty of room for play sits right on the corner of Santa Monica Boulevard and the two. Cars rush past a rather unique-looking building that is half former historical post office, half modern theater with bright orange windows. Today, in this little oasis amongst the hustle and bustle and the wealth of Beverly Hills, kids run to the front to sit right in front of a stage decorated with costumes, instruments, and scenery meant to look like a Broadway show. There's hubbub as staff and performers get everything ready to go. Parents make a final push to corral their kids and finally... Without further ado, Broadway babies! This is Sunday Fun Day, put on monthly by the Wallace Annenberg Center. 
aimed at kids and parents of all ages. This event is entirely free. What is a SIDS probe? Yes. Well, a SIDS probe is when the singers re rehearse with the orchestra. Oh, when the singers rehearse with an orchestra. But Especially considering the nature of what it means to be located in Beverly Hills, parents attending this event, and the artists performing, know just how important free arts programming is. Tiffany, one of the parents who brought her kids and some of their friends along to this month's Sunday Funday, says she adores opportunities like this. Free. I think something about things being free just gives opportunity for everyone to experience culture and, and arts, and uh, I think it's a privilege, so I'm very grateful that we have this opportunity. She also says free, high-quality arts education was something that she was thrilled to find and, and something that's hard to come by in L.A. And we're coming from Culver City, but originally from Toronto. We've been here for nine weeks now, and we love arts and culture. We love dance. Two of the girls in our group dance, and so I used to This month, the program has two acts. The first is a group called Broadway Babies. They teach the basics of live theater to kids of all ages. Nicole Manji, one of the group's co-founders, says that arts education is at the heart of the show. We really wanted to teach kids about Broadway and, and meaning, yeah. using your imagination. That's Leah Sprecher, Broadway Baby's other co-founder. Yeah. Using your imagination to create a show wherever you are in your home that you don't have to have a stage to perform and um, explore these things that we love, like singing and dancing and acting. And all the kids get the opportunity to sing, dance and act. On stage, Manji and Sprecher perform against a backdrop of whimsical faux Broadway sets complete with costume boxes and ukuleles. Right now, we're learning about characters through the use of animal puppets. Okay. Is this a cow? And what does a cow's voice sound like? Moo! Thank you so much. I'm very moved to be here. Good one. Thanks. Manji and Sprecher say that, especially after the pandemic, kids need these live performance outlets to explore creativity yeah, like and have their own York, voice. Yeah. So what the Wallace is doing is incredible because it's offering this free opportunity for anyone to come, bring their kids, be exposed to music, theater, arts at such a young age and it's it's so special. Right, and not only that but have some production value. Like we have a whole tech crew, like the sounds great, like it's that they're putting effort into it as opposed to just like, you know, out at a park with like none of that infrastructure. So that they both say that their show in particular encourages teamwork and community. Even a one-man show has a lighting designer after all. Make sure as well it is mouse. Is it good level-wise? Is it good for everyone? We're good? Alrighty, so I'll face back for a second. Touch aside, circle. Sunday Funday then moves on to its other and pretty prominent act. Teachers from the Emmy winner Debbie Allen's Dance Company which made an impression on parent Tiffany. And so I used to be a dancer, and so I just love being here. And A recurring guest in Sunday Fundays, the acclaimed Debbie Allen Dance Company, doesn't just draw in kids. Parents and grandparents also join in for the classes. This month, the dance class is on salsa. The most important part of this program, though, is, of course, its target audience. My name's Melanie, and I'm seven and a half years old. Hi, I'm Soleil, and I am seven years old. Soleil says she likes the movement of both theater and dance. How did you like the class so far? It was pretty good. Yeah, what did you like about it? Uh, that you got to move your body around a lot. As yeah. the show ends, guitars and costumes are packed up along the diaper bags. The only thing that most people are thinking about is how tired they are after a morning of play. 
but Manji says she hopes they were able to provide an outlet for both play and growth for the kids who attended. Yeah, the arts are really a welcoming place for all types of people, and I think a lot of people identify that with that and find a home there, and they feel comfortable that they can start to come out of their shell more and feel confident. After a long day of performance and fun, it becomes clear why programming like this matters. The pandemic, coupled with cuts made to arts programs around the country, have made it all the more important to make sure that children have avenues to be creative. So, what could be more important than opening this up to all kids for free? For the Sunday Funday schedule, check the website at thewallace.org. This program takes place once a month, and as always, it's completely free. For Ampersand Radio, I'm Charlotte Phillip. Protesters are continuing to put pressure on the Los Angeles City Council members, fighting for meetings to stop months after a leaked tape revealed offensive, insulting language and a gerrymandering plot. Philip Salata has a story. Activists were back in LA City Council chambers today, demanding that meetings cease until disgraced council members Kevin DeLeon and Gil Cedillo resign. Police have used numerous tactics to disperse the activists, but the latest was a touch more theatrical, a roped-off entrance to the public hall. That's what happened Tuesday. Yes, yeah, so when we came to the to enter into chambers, they have a, a, a rope, and, and two policemen were there, and they said that we couldn't get in, that the room was a capacity. We asked them what was capacity, and they didn't tell us the number, but from people who were coming from inside, they were telling us that there was still a lot of room. That was Leonardo Vilchis, director of the Union de Vecinos in Los Angeles, and a community advocate. So we kept asking to get in, asking to get in. So we started chanting, so they would let us all in. And eventually they, we got, were surrounded. The police came from all around us and started like, escorting us and pushing us. It's been almost two months since protesters have been insisting that Los Angeles City Council meetings halt. Yeah, so this is a continuation of protests that uh, came about after um, a recording was uncovered of Kevin DeLeon, Gil Cedillo, Ron Herrera, and uh, Nuri Martinez uh, conspiring to uh, divvy up assets in the city um, and really using anti-black, anti-indigenous, homophobic language uh, while conspiring against, well, namely the black community. Matios Kidane is with Stop LAPD Spying Coalition. He is one of the activists who has been protesting for the past two months after leaked audio exposed Council President Martinez, along with De Leon and Cedillo, using racist and derogatory language while discussing redistricting. Kidane believes that their behavior is representative of larger issues. But we're also highlighting how that's pervasive throughout all of Council's decisions, throughout the legislation that they passed in the last year, and how this has been normalized as business as usual. Items 21 and 22 are closed session items But today, protesters were determined to beat the crowds and showed up early. So, you know, we decided that we would have to be the first ones here. So we got here extra early. We were the first people at council chambers. um, And we waited at the door for the doors to open. And lo and behold, no one else was here. I'm sure it was a similar scene yesterday. But the four bench buffer between the public and the council remains as thick as the disconnect between ongoing proceedings and the persistent call for accountability. Audrey George, a member of White People for Black Lives, insists that despite that, it's necessary to persist. Well, yeah, like we could decide it's not worthwhile to show up when we don't really have a voice. But when you don't show up and, and speak, you're just normalizing uh, that 
the, the community isn't going to take a stand, you know. And with that in mind, each activist plays their role arriving to the meeting, calling out the hypocrisy they see taking place until finally being escorted out of the hall. And then they come back to the next meeting, making sure the council members don't get the chance to forget. Mike Bonnie, you said there was no room for anti-blackness in this room, but you celebrate Mr. Reedy, please be silent. Mr. Reedy, please be silent. Mr. Reedy has ordered exclusion from this meeting for causing natural destruction under Council Rule 12, and he is subject to Council Rule 7. Mr. Reedy, you're ordered exclusion. For Annenberg Media, I'm Philip Salata. For most students, the holiday break can be a great opportunity to reconnect with family and visit hometowns. However, not all students are able to go home, and others choose not to, which leaves students wondering how to fill the time. Arya Desai reports. This year, USC has a limited number of events for students staying over break. We spoke to several students who are staying about this experience. Ari P is an international student from China who is choosing to stay because of travel difficulties. Uh, I mean, I'm an international student. I, it's really hard for me to flow back to China and maybe quarantine for a month and go back because I just don't have much time for the long trip. So I just decided to stay here. For other students like Brian Messina of San Jose, on-campus job obligations are keeping them away from home. I'm a resident manager at Cardinal Gardens, and so part of my job is that even during winter break, I have to be on call. Sometimes options are limited, says Liam Dunn. Obviously going home to family is great, um, but my job gives me certain benefits that I kind of need as like a low-income student. Like many students who are staying on or near campus over the break, Dunn wishes that USC would provide more opportunities for holiday festivities. I feel like there's enough people on campus that they can do small events and get like a decent amount of people showing up. Others believe that because most students have already left, having events like this would be pointless. Again, Brian Messina. I don't know how willing people are to go to these events without like people they know. Or find a happy medium, says REP. Yeah, maybe do some like small events, but I don't think it's feasible for a for a larger student body. Regardless, all we can do is make the best of the situation. Make a home where you are. That's what Brian Messina is doing. Sometimes I just like consider this to be my like real home with like my chosen family. For Annenberg Media, I'm Arya Desai. And that's all the time we have for on today's From Where We Are. Spencer Klein, Jeffrey Lee, Daishling Satcher, Claire Fogarty, and Lutian Wang produced today's show. Derek Renfro composed our theme music, and Victor Figueroa wants our soundboard. Be sure to check us out on YouTube at Annenberg Radio News. This is our last show of the semester. We thank all the incredible reporters who make this show possible, and shout out to our coach, Edward Lifson, and our audio engineer, Sebastian Gruba. I'm Ethan Huang. And I'm Taylor Mills. From all of us at Annenberg Radio, we're off for a few weeks, so we wish you and yours a happy holidays, safe travels, and be well. And we'll see you again on From From Where Where We We Are. Before our semester comes to a close, what's one message you'd like to leave with our listeners? That's right. This is my last show as host. So... Stay curious and keep listening.